Thank you so much. Take your Bibles if you would and uh, find Romans chapter 11. Going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Uh, Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse 1 here. Just a moment. We might be echo. There we go. Great. That sounds well. You can still hear me though, can't you? We're glad that you've come this morning. Got up to come to early service. We appreciate you being here uh, as well. A couple of people have said this is the first time, Brother Jeff, you've worn a suit in a while. Well, it's the first time it's been under 95 degrees on a Sunday, you do understand. And plus, it is also a reminder, uh, Greater Peace Baptist Church. We are meeting tonight. Brother Clifford Jones, I've never seen him even during the week without a full suit on. This will be dressing down for him. I think he sleeps in his suits, but uh, so we're going to match him just a little bit. For those of you that are maybe newer to our fellowship, we have a sister church in which we meet with in the spring and the fall in the spring they come here in the fall, we go there. And uh, our choirs will be singing. Our couple choir will be singing a couple. Y'all singing that one tonight? Anybody know? I don't know. They're going to be singing a couple tonight, though. And Yes, they are going to be singing that one along with another one tonight. And, uh, of course, uh, Greater Peace will be singing as well. Although I did hear one class or somewhere I was, I guess it was last year at this time, and so they were announcing, come to Greater Peace and Fellowship. And they said... Uh, Sorry, Brother Clifford will not be preaching at the service there, you understand, because I preach when I'm there, and, and he comes and he preaches here. So, sorry, Brother Clifford will not be preaching tonight, but you come anyway. It'll be all right. You come and be a part. As a matter of fact, uh, kind of the title of the, the plan for the message tonight, Will, is that God has plans for misfits. God has plans for misfits, using some of the very verses from Romans chapter 11. Uh, that uh, we'll be looking at the first part of that chapter tonight. So you come to be a part of that. If you have not come, you do not want to miss out. You want to see what happens at Greater Peace tonight. If you have come, you know that you want to come again. Great time. We'll have fellowship with them afterwards. They'll provide some food and fellowship for us. So you'll be, be looking forward to that great time as well. A couple of installments that we have uh, left in this series uh, called Not Just Another Nation. As we look at the nation of Israel, look at our own nation, Look at the nation which is God's church and find application for ourselves individually as well. But we're in Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Would you stand in honor of God's word, please? This now is the word of God. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for by myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word, and you may be seated. 
It is hard to believe that it has been nearly 35 years since Marty McFly rode in Doc Brown's DeLorean when he rode back 30 years into the year 1955 in that time machine. I remember it because that was the year in which we were married, not 1955, but 1985. Next year will be 35 years since we have been married. Then he rode again into the future 30 years. It's hard to believe we've already gone past the time in which they were he was foreseen in that uh, DeLorean time machine even back then, which at least proves, if nothing else, time does fly when you're having fun. The Apostle Paul also takes us on a real journey. Back in history, forward to the future, not by the way of a DeLorean time machine, but by way of the Holy Spirit in order that our faith and understanding might be increased. If there's one truth that is clear in the Bible, it is that God can be trusted. We can trust Him for all things. His Word is truth, and it is something on which we can depend on for all time. We need to go to God's promises again and again and claim them as our very own. This chapter declares God's trustworthiness. And it again deals with the nation of Israel. God had told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. You will be a blessing. I will bless you and in all the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. God made an unconditional covenant, which is a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be blessed. They would be a blessing to the world. And we're told in Romans that all believers are spiritual descendants of Abraham by faith. They also find, Paul tells us in Romans 11 though, that God is not through with the physical descendants of Abraham. That is, his covenant with them is trustworthy. God is not forgotten. 1948, Israel was brought back to possess some of their own land. They became an independent and recognized state, an independent nation among the nations of the world. And many have and would point to that event of May 14, 1948, just over 70 years ago, and say that that was a fulfillment of prophecy. But I am not sure that becoming a recognized state or nation is as nearly as significant as Jewish people accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Israel will not ever be saved as a nation because they were born Jewish. Jewish people will only be saved as individuals as they put their faith in Jesus, just like all people who have ever lived or who ever will live. Now, you may be asking today, what difference does it make to me and why should I be interested today in what God has planned for the descendants of Abraham? Well, here's the point. If God is not through with Israel and working in the hearts and the lives of Jewish people, then He's not through working in the hearts and lives of all people everywhere. I want you to notice, if you would, the very last verse in chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse 21 Israel is called a disobedient and contrary people. This is significant because God has proven trustworthy as He loves all people. He still loves you and me even though we fail. Had Paul, the writer of Romans, concluded the book of Romans, of Romans chapter 10 and verse 21, and that were the end, we might could conclude today that perhaps God was through with the nation of Israel. But today we want to understand that God was not through and I, And we want to walk through three time periods of history. We're going to go back together to the time of Paul where our text comes from today. And he takes us back to the time of Elijah. And then we'll be brought back to the present and even look to the future concerning Israel and the present and future of the church and you and me as well. The question that Romans chapter 11 seeks to answer, has God forgotten Israel? Has God rejected Israel? 
<clears throat> have they been cast aside because of the rejection of Jesus Christ? Now, I believe this is a chapter that we want to pay a great deal of attention to because students of the Bible naturally become interested in the nation of Israel. The framework of God's working in human history is centered in the people of Israel, even in the future of Israel. And a people who like to travel, well, people like to travel maybe for many reasons and travel abroad. Sometimes they like to go back to the place where their ancestors once lived. Sometimes they want to go to places perhaps to where they just want, are curious about or maybe for their own fun, enjoyment and those kinds of things and to see some touristy type things. Some people like to go back to the Holy Land, even believers and others like to go back to the Holy Land, to the very place in which Jesus walked and the Israelite people were. Well, if we're going to be a student of the Bible, we want to be, learn to be a student of the Jewish people and their heritage. But also, if you're interested in the end times, that is, you enjoy, you're intrigued to hear about the return of Christ and the rapture of the church and the battle of Armageddon kind of stuff, well, then you'll want to learn about the Bible, the future the Bible talks about when it comes to the Israelites and when it comes to His church. But for now... We're going to learn from the past. So let's go back into this time machine known as God's Word. We're going to go back past the first century church, back to 850 B.C., the time of Elijah. 900 years before Paul wrote the book of Romans. And Paul quotes from the book of 1 Kings. In fact, he quotes from 1 Kings chapter 18, where it had not rained for three and a half years. There was a famine in the land. But even worse than a famine in the land, there was a spiritual famine that was taking place. The nation had turned from God and had turned to worship false gods under the rule of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Now, when you hear those names of Queen, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, what do you know? If you know nothing else, these are not good names. You're not going to name probably your daughter or your son Ahab or Jezebel. They're known to be... They were among the evil leaders that were in that day. Elijah, the lone prophet of God, had a showdown on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings in chapter 18 with 850 prophets of the false gods. Chief of the false gods was by the name of Baal, B-A-A-L, mentioned here also in Romans chapter 11. This was the chief of the Canaanite gods. And Elijah told the Israelites, it's time that you stop straddling the fence because they tried to worship God and they tried to worship false gods all at the same time and it could not be done. And both Elijah and the prophets of Baal prepared altars with a sacrifice because Elijah had said, let the God who sends the fire be the God that you worship. And the prophets of Baal, they prepared a sacrifice. They called upon their God all day to send fire on the altar. They danced and even cut themselves calling upon their God, but there was no fire. Elijah drenched his altar with water and called upon God, and God sent the fire. Oh, it's a dramatic uh, story and a dramatic scene that takes place in 1 Kings chapter 18, an example of God's power. And after God sent the fire, 850 prophets were killed. But that wasn't the end of the story. In Chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, it says this. We'll put those on the screen for you. It says, Now Ahab and Jezebel, everything that had, now Ahab and Jezebel told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, 
If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I know better than my ancestors. After Elijah had literally a mountaintop experience there on Mount Carmel with the showdown of the 850 false prophets, here he comes down into the valley and he feels his very worst. He's ready to die. The Bible says that he walked in the wilderness for 40 days and nights until he found himself on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And God spoke to him in that mountain later, and beginning in verse 11 and following. It says, Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars. Put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. Elijah, at that moment, wasn't necessarily angry at Jezebel or King Ahab or the false prophets, but he was angry even at the nation of Israel. And in, back in Romans chapter 11 and verse 2 that we read, it said he prayed against Israel. He thought he's the only one left. But God had been at work in other people's lives, and Elijah was wrong. He was only wrong by 7,000, but he was wrong. God always has a remnant of people who love him as at work in their lives. So could it be sometimes when we are discouraged that we are wrong? Thinking all is lost, or we're the only ones left, no one really cares anymore. When this world that we live in seems to have forsaken God, or maybe it seems that God has forsaken us, chances are that we are mistaken. God is at work in our lives and in the life and hearts of people all around us. In a day of spiritual decay, Elijah discovered that God had not forgotten Israel, nor had he forgotten Elijah. When the future does not look bright, when life seems to be falling apart, focus on the goodness of God. When Elijah needed a word from the Lord, God told him to go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. When he did, he saw the wind powerful enough to break rock. He felt the earth quake beneath his feet. He saw a powerful, the powerful fire of God, but the Bible says God was not in any of those. And then he heard a whisper. He heard God in a whisper, in a still, small voice, and God told him that he was not alone. When you need a voice from the Lord, focus on the goodness of God. Draw near to Him, and know that you're not forgotten. He does not forget. He reminds you that you're not alone. Not only is He at work, He speaks to you sometimes in that still, small voice. And if you're still patient enough to listen, and you need to know, He'll let you know that He's at work in your life. He'll also let you know that He is at work in the lives of people around you. Well, Paul brings us ahead 900 years to the time of the writing of this letter, the years A.D. 50, the time of Paul. He says at this present time in verse 5, it's like in Elijah's day, there's a remnant. And he's talking particularly about Jewish believers, those of his own countrymen and women who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. Now remember, he's answering the question found in verse 1, that has God rejected Israel? Does God forget? Does he cast aside his people? Does he forget his promise? Well, do you remember at Pentecost, 
when the Holy Spirit fell on believers, there were 3,000 that were saved that day. And then a little later in Acts chapter 4, tells us that 5,000 were saved. By the time of Paul's writing, there were an estimated 2,000 Jewish Christians scattered around the Roman Empire. And these were remnants of true Israelites. They were not only physical descendants of Abraham, but they were spiritual sons and daughters because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us in chapter 11 and verse 1, God does not reject His people. He himself, who was at one time disobedient and contrary, he was a Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews. He is now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a child of God. And he tells very specifically how there are the remnant. It's because of the divine grace of God. Look again, if you would, at Romans chapter 11 and verse 6, where it says, And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were grace, if it were grace would no longer be grace. You know, Looking at this verse by itself, it's kind of an odd verse. It kind of tells us that grace defines itself. If it is by works whatsoever, then it is no longer grace. Romans has taught us something about the election of grace. That is, if we are saved, God gets the credit. It's not by our doing. He's chosen to initiate the contact, to invite us to His kingdom, to be a part of His work. Yes, we must have faith, but it is by grace through faith that we are saved. We do not deserve His salvation. We do not deserve His presence in our life. We don't deserve the Holy Spirit walking with us daily. We don't deserve a loving Heavenly Father who will not judge or condemn us. Yet He does it anyway. In the winter of 1777, the Continental Army was freezing, starving, barely maintaining an existence at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. The Continental Congress sent out word to all patriots. Now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of General Washington and his army in the field. Mainly they wanted financial assistance and they promised eventually to repay the loans with interest. One of those who responded was Jacob DeHaven, a wealthy Philadelphia merchant. He lent the provisional government approximately $450,000 in gold and supplies. Just about everything he owned. Well, Washington's army did survive the winter, of course. They went on to win the freedom for American colonies from Great Britain. Jacob de Haven, who gave his fortune, died childless and in poverty in the year 1812 and is buried in an unmarked grave in Sweden, Pennsylvania. He never did receive payment for his loan. But now, the descendants of his brothers and sisters want the money. They filed a class action lawsuit against the U.S. government to pay the $450,000 that was given plus 6% interest over 240 years, all based on the promise made by the Continental Congress in 1777. The figure is estimated to be somewhere over $150 billion. Good luck with that, although I do think I'm a descendant somewhere in that family. Jesus Christ assumed a tremendous debt. Everything that he had, his debt, the debt was his death. It's the penalty for sin. He paid the debt with his life. He will never, ever demand repayment. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. That's a marvelous love and it's a miraculous grace. Some even church folks spend their lifetime trying to pay God back. But that's not what he asks of us. Paul says what God has given us is either of grace or it is of works. It is not both. Now, 
God does not owe Israel anything. The fact that he does not forget Israel is a picture of God's love. It's a reminder that he does not forget any people, does not forget any nation, does not forget any individual. So there's lessons from A.D. 50, the time of Paul, and it is this. Depend on God's grace. You can depend on God's grace. It is unmerited, undeserved merited, or undeserved favor. Now we've taken the time machine through of God's Word. We've gone to the past, into the Old Testament, 850 years before Christ, and we know that we are never alone. And God can be trusted, and we will never be overlooked. Uh, and we appreciate and thankful for His goodness. We've looked at the time of the Apostle Paul, noted this because of His grace that we are not forgotten. Now let's move to the present. A.D. 2019, the time of the New Testament church. Paul tells us something about Israel today and their future. And yes, Israel has a future. It is said that the Greeks sought for knowledge. The Romans of history have sought for power. And the Israelites sought after righteousness. May have been the very thing that Paul was writing to in verse 7 when he says, What they were looking for, they have not obtained. Like today, in the time of Paul, most of the Jewish people have not accepted Jesus, and the cross is a stumbling stone, and they're dull to the things of Christ, like many other people in the world today. You may have people whom you are praying for who seem, like this chapter says, blind to the truth about Christ or deaf to the good news of Jesus. Does that mean that God has forgotten about them? No way. He's still at work. Paul says, of the Jews, their rejection has opened the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles means everybody that's not Jewish. It means most of us who are in this room today. We've been blessed even though the Jews have rejected Christ. If anything, their rejection opened the door to the gospel even more quickly to the New Testament church. And he goes on to say, how much more will the church be blessed when the Jewish People accept Christ. Paul makes a prediction. It's a prophecy about Jews coming to Jesus for salvation in the future. And we already see it happening. How many Jewish people in the world today? There's an estimated 15 million Jewish people scattered around the world today. Most of those are living, of course, either in Israel or either in the United States. But there are many, many other countries as well. And in the 20th century, in the first part of the 21st century particularly, it appears that tens and hundreds of thousands of Jewish people have accepted Christ as their true Messiah and have become born-again believers. How many people living in the world today? It's changing dramatically. I think it's over 7.5 billion people that are in the world today, which is twice as many, I believe, if they are right on numbers, as from the, when the day that I was born. So it is increasing ever so rapidly in the population of the world today. Well, how many does God forget? How many does he give up on? Zero. Absolutely none. Joseph Rabinowitz, a Russian Jew of great learning, he was sent to Palestine. He was going there to see if he could buy some of the land back in Palestine. And he went to Jerusalem and he was, went and stood on the Mount of Olives and there he rested. Someone had told him to take along a New Testament. He had a New Testament that was written in Hebrew and take it as a guide perhaps to help you through the things and as he journeyed through there to see what was happening in the land of Palestine. 
And he read and he became acquainted with the Jesus Christ of which the Old Testament foretold. And his heart grew warm. And there on the Mount of Olives, he looked over toward Calvary and thought, Why is it my people are so persecuted and feel cast out? He came to the conviction that it was because we have put to death our Messiah. And he lifted his eyes, he said, My Lord and my God. And he came down the Mount of Olives, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went back to Russia. And there he built a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, a new Jewish synagogue. And over the door he put this verse. From Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It is further proof that God does not cast away His people. It's also proof that God's hand began on the Jewish people, but His love extends to people like you and me. And once we come into the family, He never lets go. Nothing can snatch us out of the hand of God. And God never gives up on us. And he never gives up on others. Many of you know the story of Chet Williams, chaplain for the Auburn University football team. In his book, His Hard Hard Fighting Soldier, he tells about when he was a freshman at Auburn University. On the field, he was aggressive and intimidating. Everything you wanted in a football player, but off the field, his personality did not change. He was mean, bitter, angry, and scary. Even his own Players, own teammates were scared of him. By his sophomore year, Coach died, threw him off the team for his attitude and his actions off the field. Kyle Collins, an Auburn running back from 82 to 85, told his teammates in an FCA meeting, Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, that he was going to pray for Chet. And they said, you got to be kidding. Come on, you don't need to pray for that guy. He's a lost cause. Pray for somebody that has some hope. But for two years, Kyle prayed for Chet. And the day after Chet got thrown off the team, he knocked on Kyle's door to ask him how he might be saved. Kyle shared with him the plan of salvation. That night, Chet gave his life to Christ. Early the next morning, Chet knocked on Kyle's door once again and asked one question. Can I start telling people that I'm a Christian? Here's our third lesson from the New Testament church. Be thankful for God's grasp. Be thankful for God's grasp and His great love. It is far-reaching and it includes you and me. It means nobody is beyond hope. Nobody is a lost cause. And it's okay to start telling people. When you're discouraged, focus on the goodness of God. When you're weary, depend on the grace of God. When you feel defeated, be thankful for God's far-reaching grasp. Does God ever forget Only one thing that He forgets, and that is that He forgets your sins. He forgets your faults when you come to Him in confession and repentance. Do you need to come and make a decision today? We have what we traditionally call our altar call at the end of the service. In a few moments, we're going to have that very thing. So I want to ask you today, perhaps maybe you need to come forward even during the invitation today. Maybe it is that You need to come accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Ask Him, what does it mean to be a believer in the Lord Jesus? We'll be glad to walk you through that. Or maybe you need to come today because it's time that you tell somebody that you've accepted Jesus. You need to come telling people today. It could be that maybe today you need to come pray for assurance, recognizing that God has not forgotten you. Or maybe you can come and 
joined even this church and this fellowship of believers. We do that through baptism. You can do that through transfer of letter from a sister church or by your statement or even by watch care. It could be that the Lord's calling you to move today and even come toward the front today and make that decision. But could it be also that the Lord's calling all of us today to be thankful for His goodness to us, be thankful that the Lord doesn't forget us. And remember that He doesn't forget others and those that we need to be praying for. Let's bow together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time in which we can come and be able to lift up prayers and praise and understand that as we read and talk about your word, it never returns void. We thank you, Father, for how it can be at work in our hearts even now. We pray, Father, today if there's someone who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, May they be reminded today that God has not forgotten them. That today they can call upon them, on you. And you will save them by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we all remember, may we all know, Father, that you love us and you don't forget us. That you're walking with us every day and that you love others too. Thank you for your great love. It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we lift these prayers. Amen.